Okay, so we're looking at Micah 6, 8. This crucial verse in Scripture. What does God require of you, it says? To act justly, to love mercy and kindness, and to walk humbly or circumspectly or attentively with your God. Just to put uh, the verse in context, when Micah began his ministry, despite the nations being divided, that was Israel in the north, Judah in the south, both were enjoying times of peace and prosperity. But there were two critical problems. The first one was this, the spiritual health of the people was in decline. The people worshipped regularly at the temple. They bought all the necessary sacrifices. They went through all the rituals. But this obedience to religious activities was just a veil to hide the fact that their hearts were far from God. The second problem was this. The poor were being exploited mercilessly by the upper classes. And justice was being perverted through the bribery of judges. Greed, violence and cruelty were common. Merchants and traders were using inaccurate scales and weights. So business was corrupt and family life was disintegrating. Isn't that a little bit sort of contemporary? And it was into this society meltdown and into this mess that God speaks through Micah to his covenant people. You know, another version translates verse 8 like this. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to others. Be compassionate in your dealings and take God seriously. You see, whereas God's requirement for the Israelites was to act justly and to demonstrate loving mercy to those within their community, this final requirement to walk humbly with your God was not about the bigger picture. Not about impacting the wider society. It was about their own daily walk with God. It is about your daily walk with God. It is about my daily walk with God. You see, God turns their attention from the outward and focused on the inward because he wants the Israelites to understand But unless they have a heart-to-heart relationship with him, unless we have a heart-to-heart relationship with him, we will not be motivated enough to embrace the challenges that we will seek, what we will find when we seek to put justice and mercy into practice. We need that motivation To reach out to our society, to act justice and to love mercy. But that's got to come from inside. And therefore God focuses there and our attention on the inward. You know, it's very easy for those of us who lead busy lives to forget God's first commandment. You'll remember in Matthew 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus And asks, teacher, what is the most important command in the laws of Moses? And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. 
You see, Jesus is talking about a love for God that comes from the heart, which dominates our emotions, which directs our thoughts, and which is the dynamic behind all our actions. In other words, a love for God that puts everything else second so we can be totally committed to him. But you know, that kind of love for God only grows through relationship. I was looking in the dictionary. Relationship is defined as a committed connection or association, a coupling you deliberately enter into and pursue. You see, God wants us to take him seriously this morning by developing a relationship with him that is more than skin deep. You see, the Israelites were going through the motions of being religious. And that can be the same for us. But God wants a relationship that takes precedence over everything else. Because when he is at the centre of our attention, we begin to appreciate something of his power. And of his grace. And of his forgiveness. See, it's interesting to note that Michael was not told to walk humbly with God. You notice that? He didn't say, walk humbly with God. He was told to include the possessive pronoun, you're in the verse, because God wants to remind Israel that they are a chosen people. A chosen people with whom he can have relationship. God had already said to Moses in Exodus 6-7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. In Leviticus 26-12 he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Jeremiah 11-4, obey me and do everything I command and you will be my people and I will be your God. And Peter in his letter picks up the same theme and applies it to all Christians. You have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. You know, God wants you to know this morning that we are his. And he is ours, I hope. That he has deliberately committed himself to us. And wants us to do the same. Because when you do that, then you can walk in relationship with someone. Here's a thought this morning. I wonder if you sense that God is your God. Do you know him as someone you can relate to? Someone who's not like the gods of other faiths, who are vague and abstract, but a God who is concrete and who is personal. A God who hears your cries for help, who yearns to speak to you. A God who has promised repeatedly that he will be with you through good times and bad. 
God is for you this morning. If you forget everything else I say, I want you to remember that God is for you this morning. He is on your side. And nothing that you will face in this coming week will be beyond him. Because he'll be there by your side helping you through. So how do we develop this relationship with God, this loving relationship with God? This God of the universe, if we've been watching, who's brought everything into uh, uh, life, but yet comes down to us and speaks to us personally. How on earth do you develop a relationship with a God like that? Well, certainly by studying the Bible. And there's nothing wrong in studying the Bible. It's important that we do that. But you know, so often, that only results in a head knowledge. Where we simply know about God. Rather, he wants us to have a heart knowledge. And that happens best through prayer. Because true prayer is about conversation. Have you ever thought of it like that? True prayer is about conversation. When Angie and I have our meals together, I do not say to her, I love you. I want relationship with you, but I'm I'm a bit busy, so I've got this list, and uh, this is what I'd like you to do for me um, today. I wonder if your prayer time's a bit like that. No, when Angie and I sit down to breakfast or whatever it is, we spend time speaking and listening to each other so we know what the other is thinking. Because that way we appreciate how the other feels. We become attuned one to another. And that's how it is with God. He wants us to so order our lives that we have time for conversation. Time to talk. But you know, he's a God who does not coerce us into dialogue with him. He is a God of love. And as 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us, love does not demand its own way. He simply wants to extend an invitation to us to spend time with him whenever we are ready and willing. Isn't that beautiful this morning? That God wants to spend time with you in conversation. He wants you to listen to him and he wants you to speak and to share with him. It's interesting to note, however, that Micah, at the end of verse 8, is not describing a quick prayer whenever we have a spare minute. He is describing prayer as a lifestyle choice. As we go about our daily business, as we walk through life with our God. So God wants us to be in communication with him all of the time. He wants to partner with us every moment of every day. Because what interests you interests him. You know, of course, we need to set times aside, specific times aside for prayer. There's nothing wrong with prayer meetings or 
prayer when we actually fix in our day a specific time. Jesus himself went away from the disciples to spend time praying. But you know, also Jesus had a continuous interplay with his father. He was always listening out for the Father's voice and relaying back to God what was on his mind. And you see, it's as we seek and desire his presence, his influence, his guidance in whatever situation we find ourselves, so we achieve a closeness which helps us to treat, to avoid treating him as a heavenly Father Christmas. You know, again, I wonder if your prayer life is a bit like that. Where we come to God and we ask him to do for us what we need doing and to give us what we want. You see, it's when we're in relationship with God, when through prayer we achieve that closeness, when we're walking daily with him and, and speaking to him every moment when we include him in every part of our lives. So we begin to understand that he is a father, yet he is the almighty. And we begin to treat him with the reverence and respect that he deserves. We begin to get our relationship with him into a right perspective. You know, sometimes there's a casualness in our Christianity that dishonours God. I don't know if you say grace before you have a meal. I once heard of uh, someone whose whose grace consisted of tar par, which is which is fine, but that just seemed to me to be a little flippant. You know, I enjoy it informality but if we treat God too lightly we present him to the world as someone who can be ignored or ridiculed I received a birthday invitation from my non-Christian cousin a few years ago which had up the top of the invitation in big bold capitals And I apologise in a sense for actually saying this. It said, oh my God, I'm 70. Yet if you go into the card factory this morning, you will see cards on the racks that have OMG on them in bold print. And if you listen to what children and adults are saying, most of the time they will include OMG In their conversation. You know if we are. Casual. In our Christianity. If we don't uphold God with reverence. And respect in what we say and what we do. Then we cannot expect the world. To uphold him and treat him with reverence. Or respect. So God wants a relationship with his people. He wants a relationship with you and me this morning. But if we are to walk humbly with him, he wants that relationship to be founded on two key elements. The firstly, is, firstly it's submission. 
You know, it's not easy to come to God in prayer and say, I believe that you know best. That your plan for my life is better than the one I've devised. To say, yes, God, I want you to have complete and utter rule in my life. Yet as Jesus prepares for the cross in Luke 22, we read this. Then, accompanied by his disciples, he left the upper room and went, as usual, to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And there he left them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of horror from me, yet not my will but yours be done. You know, Christianity is very much a battle of wills. And we live in a world where people often demand their own way. But for Jesus, it was all about fulfilling what God had in mind for him to do. In John 4, 34 we read, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And in John six thirty eight, For I have come here from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to have my own way. I wonder as you go about your daily business this coming week, who will win the battle of wills? As you face decisions and choices this week, will you demand your own way or will you consult God? And when you do mess up, will you be big enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry for not following your path. Lord, what I really want is to do what you want. You see, if we're being, are going to be in a right relationship with God, it needs to be a relationship, firstly, of submission. Psalm 14310 says this, help me to do your will for you are my God. You know, it's interesting that over the past few years, the most popular song played at funerals, and I'm not going to sing it to you this morning, but it's Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. I did it my way. People want their, their relatives to remember as they see the coffin go down into the hole or, or, you know, at the crematorium to be burned up. That I did it my way. I don't know if Frank Sinatra ever sang a song where it has the words, I did it his way. But I think that's what I'd like played at my funeral. I did it his way. I submitted to his will. I understood that God is God. That although he wants this personal, intimate relationship with me, yet, because he is who he is, I was willing to lay down my will for his. You know, God desires your submission to him this morning, not because he is a tyrant, 
but because he's a loving father who says, I want what's best for you. Submission. Second element is this. Servanthood. You know, we serve God by serving others. In Mark we read that the disciples were arguing about who in God's kingdom was going to be the top man. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the greatest of all must be slave to all. Even I... The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. You know, if we're going to be in right relationship with God this morning, not only do we need submission, to be submissive to God's will, but we need to be servants of the King too. Which is what Jesus was. Jesus was a servant King. The one who took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his loins, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. After which he said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You know, Christianity... Is about receiving from God and giving to others in whatever way we can. In, in whatever situation we find ourselves. To generously give to those in need. But you know it doesn't end there. Because there are a lot of non-Christians who generously give to others in need. No, 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 no. For us as Christians, we need to go that one step further. Our giving needs to have a spiritual edge as well. We give generously, certainly practically, that's right and that's good. And that was lovely to hear about Abby's footprints this morning. Thank you for sharing about that. Where we give and we give into the needy families and, and, and that's great. But our Christianity needs to take us that one step further. Because in Matthew 10, after calling his 12 disciples, Jesus sends them out into the surrounding countryside with his instruction, go and announce to the people that the kingdom of heaven is near, then heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I don't know what you've been doing this week, but I have to say I haven't cast out many demons or cured many lepers or raised many from the dead or healed many of the sick. For us as Christians, it's absolutely right that we generously and sacrificially give what we have to others. But you know, also we are to pray for others. And by so doing, release the Holy Spirit to do what he wants in their lives. In whatever way he chooses. You know, I'm glad that um, Angie, my wife, and Sarah, our daughter-in-law, are here this morning. 
because I can talk about them in Christian love. And uh, I, I struggle with them sometimes, I have to be honest. I'm glad we're among friends um, here this morning. I, I have a bit of a problem with them both. Because you see, I know that when they go out into sort of everyday business, they're not as scared as me to pray for people. I know that both of them will offer to pray for people in all sorts of different situations. And sometimes I'm thinking, oh goodness gracious, you know, I, I need to sort of stand back a bit from this. I, I, you know, I'm a man, for goodness sakes. And I'm British. And I'm a bit embarrassed, to be quite honest. And yet, both of them have that courage to take God to the people. They not only give practically, they also take God to the people through prayer. And they pray for them, pray for their needs. And we need to be doing likewise. I need to be doing likewise, to have the courage to say, I'm not only going to give you whatever gift it is, so beautifully presented there. But I'm going to give you something of Jesus. Because I can pray into your situation, and I can pray believing that God will change your situation. We need in our giving to have a spiritual edge. Micah. 6 8 says this. This is all that God requires of you. This is this is all it is. To act justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. You know, that's what God requires of every single Christian, and that's very, very hard. But you know, when we have a meaningful, intimate, deferential relationship with the one who made heaven and earth, then with his encouragement, we can become the counter-cultural movement that God always intended his church to be. We are to influence the world. We are to be sought. As was not in little packets, but sought out there in the world. And we can be sought and light. We can act justly and love mercy. Once we're right with God and in relationship with him. I was struck by one of those lines in the song that we had played earlier. If creation still obeys God, then so will I. I wonder if that's your heart this morning. If creation still obeys God, then so will I. Lord, this coming week, whatever you say, as we commune in prayer, as we talk one with another, as you speak and I listen and I speak and you listen, as we get into that relationship, as I submit myself, 
as I adopt servanthood as my lifestyle, then I will obey you in everything you say and everything you do. Let's just stand for a moment and I'd just like to pray for you, for us all. You know, it's very easy. Let's, let's just stand and be in an attitude of prayer. Over these last few weeks, you've had a lot of teaching on Micah 6.8 and I'm sure it's been very beneficial. But we need so much to be able to take on board what God has said to us, not only this morning, but in the previous sessions. Because Satan will want to snatch away what we've been hearing. And very often when we get out into the kitchen and we have our coffee and we're thinking about other things or we collect the children and it's all just what we've heard just washed away and lost. So Father, we thank you this morning for Micah 6.8 for what you were saying through that man prophetically. Speaking to that nation of Israel and to us. And Father, we thank you that you make it so clear, so simple. And yet we know it's such a challenge, Lord, to, to, to love justice. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, Father. It's simple yet so profound. And Father, we know that it applies to each one of us who are Christians. So Lord, we pray that you will help us to dwell on the words that we have listened to over these weeks. And you will help them to apply them to our lives. Father, they will not be snatched away by Satan and, and or just put away in the closet, Lord. Filed under no further action. But Lord, that we will be those people who are not only hearers but doers also. In Jesus' name. Amen.